Episode 252 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the British-born Irish comedian, writer and actor, Sean Hughes. In 1990, at the age of 24, Sean became the youngest winner of the prestigious Perrier Comedy Award at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe. He went on to appear in films such as The Commitments, Round Ireland with a Fridge and Pacoon. And on TV in The Last Detective and Coronation Street and he starred in his own sitcom called Sean's Show. And he was a team captain on Never Mind the Buzzcocks. Sean also had five books published and performed countless live shows. Tragically, he died in 2017, aged only 51. My interview with Sean took place in Brighton, Sussex, in 2007, when he was on a stand-up tour which had caused some controversy in the press. It's been nine years now. Well, yeah, I think something like that. Does it Um, feel very different this time around? Well, it does in in the sense of, obviously I'm coming from an older person's point of view, Mm. and... um, I think, you know, it's, it's quite... The spring tour is even harder because I think now people are starting to understand what kind of stuff I'm doing, but they, they're just going to see the guy who was in The Last Detective or, you know, Coronation Street. So, like, my humour is adult, not in the sense of, you know, it's blue, but it's an adult show, and I think sometimes people get mystified by it. Mm. Perhaps they've forgotten what you were like previously. Well, I think it's much harder edge now as well. Like, I'm not frightened of dealing with subject matter and... Um, <coughs> But the thing is, there's nothing offensive in that show, mm-hmm. you know, unless, you know, obviously people will get offended by things, but I'm actually, there's not one thing where I'm going, right, I'm going to really try and offend someone mm-hmm. here. But it's just sometimes subject matter, people play it too safe now, and all I just want to do is talk about the world. And I, I never sit down with a blank piece of paper and write stuff, it's just things that occur to me. Because I noticed there was a very oblique reference to the Madeleine McCann situation right at the beginning. Well, see, um, is there though? Well, okay, <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interpretation. Yeah. But having read a lot about you in, in the last couple of days, have you just decided to take that out of your rights? No, because um, realistically, what happened was, it was a topical joke. That's but right. and it was about the Pope, and mm. I just... Well, Irish Radio were real dickheads about it. Mm. And I, I just will not kind of... It's like it's, I don't know about you, but I just want to suffer fools. Mm. And I thought what was despicable is they rang up one of their relatives, like they hadn't got enough bother in their life. But no, I won't shy away from that. But I'll still stand up and say, yeah, I did a joke about the Pope. Haven't got a problem. But then they start going, oh, he has a go at handicapped people, which I don't, you know. Mm. In that whole routine, the thing that makes sense is Down syndrome kids would love that job. Mm. You know, it's not me saying, you know, let's have a go at people. It's funny because it's true. That's, that's well, yeah, that is the old maxim yeah. as well. But yeah, like as I say, like even last night, I mentioned it right at the start of the first show where I played Ipswich and a friend reminded me that, oh, Ipswich is where the guy killed all the prostitutes. Yeah. So, as I say, a couple of late comments came in and I said, have you just killed some prostitutes? And their local paper today were looking for comments, you know, to hang me out to dry. And I'm just going, like, get over it. Mm. You know, I just find that bizarre because I don't want to be a controversial comic. I'm not. Because one of the claims about the McCann situation was that you were seeking attention, seeking publicity. No, I hate that. You don't like, yeah. That's not nice attention. And you don't need it, do you? And also, you just don't want that. Because, mm. you know, and I kind of touch upon it on stage as well. Like, 
we live in a vigilante culture, mm. you know, and I hate the fact that the news of the world every week shows pictures of paedophiles mm. and they always say, show them in parks. And I remember once where there was a paedophile having eaten a pie in a park and they actually said paedophile devouring a pie, which is inciting mm. to the sense of you're going to get some kind of idiot who'll see that picture and it sees him and he'll give him a good pasting. Mm. And like, you know, you know, that's what I mean. If I was all of a sudden Lord of us, oh, he's the guy who thinks it's funny that Maddie McGann's been kidnapped, you know, you'll get a good slap for that and you don't want that. Do you think it was just the press whipping that up? Yeah. And, and there wasn't really a story at all, the public actually, did you ever get any complaints from the public? No. Right. No, it was like, it was pretty much the Independent, you know, did it, but to be fair to the Independent, I think they, they quoted the joke, but then just to have a poppy said he thinks Maddie McGann's a fair game, yeah. which is like putting a really insightful thing into the, and that's what the, uh, RG and stuff picked up on and I just you know, to me it was a storm in a teacup and I but it was a little frightening because I was slightly worried that the news of the world or something would mm -hmm. I know the Irish news of the world were asking for quotes but we mm. just said that's the line. But um you know, because you don't want people doorstepping you then just for mm. a stupid joke. But I I think it's uh our society's you know, it's a nanny state now anyway, so I think Patrick Kilty got into trouble for mentioning yeah. Maddie. I don't know what his joke yeah, just was. A couple of days ago, yeah. And so I think if they want to pick a story, that they will. Mm. But and it's also everything out of context is ridiculous, you mm. know. And the thing is that, that night and and hey, and they were a very conservative audience. They laughed at the joke. It wasn't mm. like complete silence then. And that's why I kind of had fun with the missing cat thing because mm. I let them make their mind up whether they want to think about mm. is it a joke about the McGanns or is it just about a cat. In the press, they were saying that the Coronation Street bosses were livid with you for yeah. being distasteful. You are quite uh, rude about Coronation Street in your act now. Well, I wouldn't is that say kind rude. Is that payback? Is that no. you go back at them? No, because I, I had a great time. Mm. But with Coronation Street, like, the material I do about that is I'm having to go up myself for thinking mm. I'm younger than I am. Mm. And, like, you know, Eileen, who's played by Sue, was still mates. I loved working with her. And, um, you know, they didn't put any effort into the character. And I think, you know, but I still, you know, go on record as I love Coronation Street. But no, they uh, they weren't living, nothing came into that. It was always, I was going to play this character and eventually he gets punched mm. by Eileen and he's gone. You know, it wasn't like they wrote me out. But I think the press did start to insinuate that I got mm. sacked and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, but, you know, unfortunately, and in a sense you're slightly falling into the same trap, is press perpetrates other press. So yeah. all you go on is clippings. And mm. if the clippings are wrong, there's a vicious circle happening mm. where all the wrong information keeps on circulating. And, you know, but that's the way journalism works, and mm. it's not a good way to operate, though, is it? Well, you don't do many interviews, is this no. partly why? Because people misinterpret you? Well, not really, it's just, um, I've always, you know, shied away from being the marketing part of it. I, I don't mm. feel I should do that, I think other people should market me, and I should do what I do on stage. Mm. And I, I don't, you know, because I don't do ads, I don't do voiceovers, mm. I don't do corporate, you know, I don't do anything like that, so... You know, it's not worth anything to hide, but, you know, the show's very honest as well, so you yes. get everything. Because yes. all that stuff is based on truth, you know, mm. it's not word for word. Mm. Like, for instance, even with the, the day out with the Down Syndrome kids, that's true, mm. but it wasn't a basketball thing, it's just visually that makes it funnier mm. for me. And the actual line about Alicia Nobody Looks Like is an absolutely true <laughs> thing. <laughs> but, you know, I did say that to my but friends. I had one of the best laughs of the night, I have to say. It's one of those where yeah, people yeah. go, oh. And I've, but that's what... I just find it odd that you just mention the word and then... Because there's another line which, again, I forgot tonight, and it's just pretty much... 
it's kind of slightly trying to break taboos just with certain words that people have associations with. Like, I talk about having a threesome, and, and the joke goes on to say, you know, if I was going to have a threesome, it would, be, would have to be with two very special people. I say, now, I know a lot of people don't like fucking people in wheelchairs, but I see them as my equal, and they've got their sexual needs, and it goes on. But an actual, weirdly, all these things is, I'm actually showing people as, as kind of the same as us. And it's even when, when I wrote the novels, the reason I wanted to write the novels was to talk about the minutiae and stuff that people tend to sweep under the carpet, just to kind of lift it up and go, no, we, we do have to deal with this. Mm. And that's what I like doing. Mm. And you mentioned you were a little bit disappointed with the reaction in Ireland to the McCann situation. Was... You've already planned quite a lot of dates in Ireland. Uh, yeah, there's four, this. yeah. Okay, okay, a few, yeah. yeah. I mean, do you have any... Different thoughts about going to Ireland now to do. No, but the only thing is, if Archie wanted an interview, I'd tell him to fuck off. Right. Because I just, I just found that um, it's a strange thing. Well, like we did have a huge emigration, um, you know, the diaspora kind of went away because it was a really backward country, and it's just finding when you see the still elements of that backwardness. I, you know, I kind of try and keep in touch a little bit. I know now that latest hoo ha is the uh, TDs taking cocaine. You know, and they're making that a huge deal. Like, right. you know, when the people who are writing that take coke themselves, oh. but I hate this, you know... Hypocrisy. But it's that false kind of yeah. hysteria yeah. for a story. I, I just wish, you know, journalists had a, more of a breach where they have to tell the truth, yeah. you know? And I'm sure there's some great ones. I know it's a hard job nowadays as well, because there's so much gutter press. And, it, like, it's all, you know... PR rather than interviews and stuff like Max Clifford and the like, yeah. you know, burying or selling stories. Mm. And, you know, I, I read the news of the world and uh, it kind of shocks me, mm. you know, what they do. But unfortunately, they have the best football stories. <laughs> and you're still a Crystal Palace fan, are you? Yeah, but. Can't be much written about them in the news of the world, eh? Well, they kind of. Uh, Simon Jordan's motor mouth, oh, anyway, true, but yeah, yeah. He, he annoys me as well. Mm. But I think he's trying to sell the club now. Do you consider yourself British or Irish? No, I'm always Irish. Really? Even how Even much... though you were spent the first five years of your life in... Like, yeah, but I just I just don't feel any Englishness in me at all. Right. I was quite Republican as well when I was growing up. Mm. But kind of, you're made to do that, to kind of compensate for having a, an English accent as well. You know, the biggest uh, slag-off they used to do to me in the school was to say, shut up in Brett. I used to really annoy that. That was mm. the worst cuss they could say to me then. And but as soon as they know it annoys you, they keep on doing well, yeah, it. As kids yeah. as well, like, you know. Yeah. There was quite a lot of people. Because, you know, again, because of uh, immigration, like, there was no work in Ireland, so a lot of people kind of uh, came over especially to London to get work. And that's what had brought your parents out? Yeah. Right? Yeah, they were... My mother was trying to be a nurse, my dad. I think they met on the buses, actually. Right. But not yeah, the TV series. No. <laughs> no, I'm not a very non-showbiz family. Right. But so what year had they come over here? Because you were born in 65, as you explained. Yeah, I've got one older brother, so I'm not really, I'm terrible with dates and stuff, but... How long before you were born had they come over? I've never asked. Okay. But, um, I don't know, I assume it would have been there seven or eight years. Right. And it didn't work out, so they decided to go back when you were five? Yeah, there's a kind of a bit of a family secret which I can't go into, but we have to go back. I'm an amateur. No, but it's... (laughs) I'm going to need you to expand now. Well, it's something we never really talk about as well. But we just... What sort of a secret? I can't tell you. It's kind of breaking the law type secret. But it's not like a big... You know, it's one of those. Yeah, so it wasn't... Are they out of jail now? No, they never went to jail or anything (laughs) like that. But it was just one of those... They had to get out of London and uh, 
which you know was a blessing really because otherwise I would have probably ended up being English mm. which would have been a fate worse than death well it's just I, I've never felt English like right. you know you'll meet a lot of Irish people who you know I despise a lot of Irish culture but mm. I'll always go on record as yeah I'm Irish and mm. you know and I'm, all the way back in your uh, ancestry is Irish well yeah they'd kind of yeah, but see, that's the other thing, because my mother's side of the family were real Republicans in the, right. back in the day. And I think my dad's dad, he was black and tan, so they fought on mm. opposite sides of the War of Independence as well. Yeah. Which didn't, you know, bode well for the marriage. <laughs> well, your parents are from Dublin, yeah? No, my, my dad's from Dublin, my mum's from Cork. Oh, OK, because when you did an impression of your dad on stage, it sounded a bit Belfast, to be honest. How <laughs> dare you? That's, that's Dublin. <laughs> that's Gritty Dublin. Dublin. OK, Gritty Dublin. So, um, whereabouts in London were you, in England, were you born? Was it London? Yeah. Right, Crouch End, where you live now? Well, no, North from? London, but bizarrely, you know, I did home back into that area within yeah. kind of five-mile radius, which uh, is a bit odd, and I think there's probably a reason behind it. You know, because I didn't, you know, go, I want to go back to Archway, because that's <laughs> a horrible part of town. But, yeah, it just so happened that. Um, Maybe you know your parents' names and occupations. Mm -hmm. names well, they were both retired. But it's Teresa and uh, John. And they still live in Dublin? Yeah. And you talk about your school days quite a bit in interviews. What was the worst treatment you ever had? Did you get beaten up at school? No, I, I was actually popular at school. It was in the area right. where I lived that. There was a gang there, and when they were bored, they'd frighten the hell out of me because I wasn't part of the gang. But um, I think just the main thing was I went to three different schools because we moved. You know, from London to yes, Dublin, and indeed. then to another part of Dublin. So, yeah, there was. I think there was five different schools over a, a seven-year period, and that, I think, has made me do what I do today. But you just don't feel your fit in. And what you try to make them laugh to, to get really. them on your side. Is that no, it was. Um, it was more. I was a bit of a messer, so mm. I was actually very good at getting people into trouble. You know, and I mean, like, you do things like. Um, I used to have a flask. And I'd just tap someone on the shoulder and say, Jimmy wants my flask. And he'd had that, and I'd go, so he's got my flask. And he's caught red-handed. But things like that, you yeah, know, it was yeah, just yeah. a bit of fun, though. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, school was very dull. But you say when you're out of school, that's when they had a go at you. Did they ever do you in completely? Or no, but, like... Um, was it mental teasing, as it were, or...? Yeah, no, there's, like... I, I kind of deal with that in uh, the detainees, the first novel, but... Mm. Yeah, no, it was. Um, it made me kind of realise how horrible people could be, and like it was that thing of like we used to, like all kids, you just for some reason go camping in people's backyards, and it was always slightly, it was slightly terrifying because I just knew if they wanted to, they would pick on me. If someone was going to get picked on, and like it wasn't where I was getting done all the time, but if someone was, I'd be the fellow. And I'm going, why, why am I hanging out with these? And they'd do things like, in the middle of the night, on camping nights, you know, get cats and be cruel to them. And I despised all that, mm. you know? And even smashing windows and stuff. I, I could never understood why you do something to other people's property. I just haven't got that kind of... Yeah, you know, I just really didn't understand that. I didn't like it in the slightest. And you have always been soft on animals, haven't you? You, you love... Well, yeah, I just think, you know, I'm, like, I'm kind of animal rights, you know, extreme, but not that I do anything, but... You know, You're vegan, just, aren't you, as well? No, I can't with this lifestyle. Really? Well, yeah, because I'm on the road all the time. It's pretty much cheese sandwiches. Oh. But, um, you know, I tried for a while, but it's just impossible. You're vegetarian? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, um, you know, 
I, I feel we have to protect animals because mm. you know I don't agree with the zoos or anything like that either. I did you know one of the best things I ever did in my life was, and this is under my own but I went to Rwanda and trekked mountain growers on my own, and that was fantastic. Bearing in mind that you've explained you had an unhappy time growing up in Ireland, is it hard to feel affection for the place because it has bad memories for you? Well, I sometimes get a little anxious. I don't feel that comfortable. I love playing in Dublin, though. Mm. I do see that as my hometown, but I couldn't ever live there, probably for those reasons. Mm. But I wouldn't say... I didn't have an unhappy childhood. I just uh, had a real Catholic working-class childhood, mm. which, you know, I'm not looking for a pity or anything. It's just That's the way it was. But, you know, rather than unhappy, you just tend to become more isolated and do your own thing, really. Mm. And I, what I couldn't understand was nobody I knew had any ambition to do anything and I always did so but do you think it was the kind of element of persecution that made you ambitious made you say one day I'm going to show them there's always a bit of that in everyone mm. but it wouldn't be the main stage like it, I used to work I was I was quite independent so I'd always work part-time in supermarkets and stuff over weekend so I had my own money and I remember thinking you know I'll go back to the super when I show them one day when mm. I'm famous but by the time you know, you do that, you've no interest in going back to tell them. Mm. But I, I suppose, like, you know, negativity can spur you on. You know, but I think that's the same with everyone, really. Did you, do you think you said to yourself in those days, I'm going to be a star one day? Or did anyone ever tell you when you were a kid that you had something special? That... Nobody. Right. Like, that was real, kind of, I got no support whatsoever. But, you know, and it wasn't even self-belief. I was just, uh, I was driven. I kind of knew what I wanted to do. and went and did it, really. But... There was no your brother? What's his name and occupation? Well, I've got two brothers, Alan and Martin. One of them lives in Australia and the other one is in Liverpool, but they're just kind of normal jobs. Like, nothing like, like they're doing well for themselves. But, mm. um, like, you know, I'm, I'm also not one of those blood is thick and water people as well. I was amused in Cornish Street, they called you Pat. It's so imaginative for an Irish. Well, well, this is what I mean. Like, you know, as I say, I do think Cornish Street's brilliant, but they make five shows a week, so. Mm. Turning you know, them out. Yeah. And as I say, some of the lines you do get to say are woeful. But was your mum proud? Because you said you Absolutely. That's the only reason I did it as well. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know, I knew she'd yeah. get a kick out of it. Mm. And it was ideal for me because it was such a small, short run. You know, I didn't have to worry. Like, I wouldn't, not that they've asked, but if they said sign up for a year, I'd say not a chance in hell. Mm. And I've got much respect for them for doing that because, like, you do get hassled by hillbillies, basically. Mm. Are you still getting lots of fans? No, it's, it's kind of... Well, because I live in London, they don't give two hoots, mm. London people, but you'll get it when you go out a bit, but I don't, mm. you know, around the country, but I don't really... Even with the show, they're just dressing room, show, home. Mm. Ian McCallan did Coronation Street a few years ago. I know, yeah. Was that a spur to you? Did you think, well, if he can do it... Well, of course you say that, but no. <laughs> you know. But was, I, I always like challenges as well, mm. you know, but... Yeah, I'd love to say it was because of him, but he has he has actually definitely given a kudos. But yeah, yeah. you know, I didn't go. Well, that's good enough for him because <laughs> I, I did Shakespeare for four months as well. And oh, I want to ask you about Sienna Miller because wasn't she in that? Yeah, um, she was very much the target of the paparazzi at the mm. time. I imagine. Can you give me an example of an experience you had with her in that respect? I know they were just hounding her all the time. Right. Did you she know, hide the... in your dressing room or Shakespeare? No, but they and... used to. Try to get her out different ways because it was. I think all the shit was happening with Jews at the time, so mm. it was. You know, they were there every day, mm. and you kind of seen that kind of was a bit frightening, really. And she wasn't. 
she couldn't really deal with that well, I said, you know, because I think there's a lot of stuff that's going on in my personal life, and then to have that on top of that, mm. it's not very nice, so I think she kicked out a bit. But you seem a very sort of warm-hearted, sensitive guy. Did she come to you for advice? And... <laughs> no, but she's, uh, she's surrounded by her family anyway. Mm. But she was very, like, you know, when you do a theatre production, everyone's a team, but, you know, I think she, she was being protected by her family quite a bit. Mm which is fine but you know we didn't really socialize much outside yeah. the show because you know you see them six days a week anyway but you're known to have an eye for a pretty girl Did, was she your type no she wasn't really but really? no she's pretty yeah but um but everyone's got an eye for a pretty girl it's like i'm weird <laughs> no 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 we're in brighton don't forget <laughs> yeah but there's plenty of pretty girls there but you know i find it really odd that people always say that about me as if Everyone else just likes ugly girls. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. Now, going back to your youth, was there a programme or anything you saw on TV or on the stage that made you think, I quite fancy that for a career? Absolutely. It was just Richard Pryor live at Sunset. Oh, really? Strip. Oh. It just went, that's what I wanted to. Really? But, you know, kind of, when I started off, it was for all the wrong reasons. Mm. You know, I wanted to be famous and I wanted celebrity, but once I saw the power of what stand-up comedy could do, then... I became much more interested in that. And like got off the circuit as quick as I could to do one-man shows. And then, you know, didn't want the fame or anything like all, you know, I hate the word celebrity and I, I just think it's a, it's a shallow byproduct of being in a business that, you know, is in the media. Mm. But it's, I've no interest in people knowing who I am. I, I mentioned them knowing what I do and like being interested in that, but not who I am. It's interesting, you, you admit that to start with, fame was quite a, an important yeah, goal. Yeah, but childish, though. Yeah, but this thing is, that a lot of people are saying today that this X-Factor generation, all they want is fame. But it is a spur for young kids, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but it's slightly different. Like, you know, I wasn't one of those that said, I just want to be famous. Mm. I kind of knew I was going to do comedy, but yeah. doing it for the wrong reasons initially. But these kids just want to be famous mm. without having any talent whatsoever. Mm. There's a huge difference there. Mm. But yeah, I think everyone's always... You know, when you were a kid, you dream about being famous. Did you think you'd always make it somehow yeah. in the back of your head? Just What do you think gave you that confidence? Because you knew you were naturally funny, or...? Well, no. I don't know, I just knew. I just knew... I think because uh, I was even, as a child, quite philosophical <coughs> about stuff, so... Mm. And I, I kind of somehow knew that if you told the truth, it would win out, you know? And, um, yeah, I, there was no... Like, obviously... You know, went through some rough times starting off, but I had absolute self belief. I think you do when you're 21 and stuff. I think I'm right in saying that you started out as a double act with mm. another guy from Dublin, is that yeah. right? What's happened to him? What's his name? What's happened to him? Well, his name was Brian, and uh, I, what's his surname? I forget. But um, <laughs> still mates then. <laughs> well, no, but that's the thing. Like uh, we came over, we did four gigs. First three went really well. Fourth one, we died in our ass. And he just said, uh, you know, I could tell exactly what was happening, but he just said, oh, I've just got a call from my sister, she's ill, I have to go home. Complete lie. And I stuck it out. I had a double act mm. with just me. So that really, that was a good grounding for me, because I had to really stop thinking on my feet. Have you never spoken to him again? No, I haven't actually, but mm. not that I go, you know, I hate you and stuff, it's just never mm. occurred. Never, mm. never came in contact with him again. I hope your sister's all right. <laughs> Because you're not a religious person, but you seem to believe in fate quite a bit. No. With regard to it was meant to be, sort of thing. Yeah, but not like that. Mm. I was brought up very religious, so if anything, I'd veer towards Buddhism, but I would find we're all kind of religions, there seems to be a hierarchy, and I've really 
I don't like class mm -hmm. in society. It really bugs me that. Mm. How did you find England when you came over here? I think at 19, didn't you come mm -hmm. over here? Well, I used to come over for some holidays before that as well, mm -hmm. you know, working holidays. But um, I found it... Um, was it everything you wanted it to be, though? No, it was frightening. You know, because also, Dublin was very insular back then, so just getting used to the multiculturalism of London was a big stepping point as well. And you have to bear in mind, you know, all you're doing for the first six months is doing ten-minute sets in rooms up, upstairs in pubs, you know, and hope that they give you a pay gig somewhere down the line. So, but you know, you have energy when you're that age to deal with all that. No, I kind of weirdly with London. It's only when I go touring I realise what a great place London is, mm. and I can't wait to get back. But you know, I don't. Really, you know, I live in not so much the sticks, but I don't go to town very often. It doesn't interest me really. How tough was it to leave Ireland and to leave your parents in Ireland? Very easy. Really? Oh, you, yeah. You just had enough by then? Well, no, it wasn't had enough. I knew what I wanted to do, and I knew the comedy circuit was in London, so that was it, really. What did your parents want you to do? Did they want you to have a more secure existence, a secure career? My parents got London, never fully understood me. They're very proud of me now, but they would have been happy if I got a job full time in a supermarket. Mm. Well, you did, didn't you, when you came to London? Isn't that the story? You were working in. A supermarket in London, and then we never worked in London. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's uh, all over the research on you, so it's not true then. No, that was in, in Dublin when right. I was a kid. I'd never uh, done a job ever. See, there's the lies. Indeed, yeah. So you just start, you came over here and you started doing stand-up. Went on the Enterprise Alliance. Right. But bizarrely, um, also, you know, this is going back way over old ground, but um, I had a really I had a psychotic moment when I was 19 with acid, which just did not agree with me. And before I was coming over to emigrate, I went to see a doctor, and they said, no, you need psychiatric help. And I thought, well, if I do that, I'm going to hide under my bed for the rest of my life. So I just went the next day, mm. and was on beta blockers, you know, to stop panic attacks. That's how determined I was, because I knew if I didn't make the break then, I'd kind of become a weak person. And in a way, comedy must be the ideal vehicle for getting rid of all these weird thoughts. And yeah. People love to hear about that, don't they? Well, yeah, no, you, I try not to make it too personal, because it's mm. a bit boring. I try to keep it, you know, where everyone can relate to everything. But, yeah, I wouldn't talk about that on stage, because it just it bores me now, mm. never mind that. But I think, yeah, it does definitely... Well, the thing is, being a comic, you basically have to deal with your mind 24-7. Mm. Some people can't do that. And you, that's a real important skill to learn in life, you know. Because I, I find that really odd as well, that you get that kind of cliche that people say, you know, comedians are, why are comedians dysfunctional? And my answer would always be, to be fair, everyone's dysfunctional. At least comics have the common sense to understand what it is they're dysfunctional about, you know, because most people just never question themselves like that. Well, comics do it all the time. Because there's often said that comics are naturally quite sad people, morose people, but in your case, do you think that Well, no, I think, uh, I, I just think it's lazy words, really. I think they're considered. But, you know, I say that, but, like, there's a lot of comics who seem to hold down marriages and kids and stuff, which I'd find extremely hard, because it's, it is a driven thing, and I, I don't think it's, like, because, you know, also there's proper depression, which I, I've never had. And, you know, I feel sorry for people who are clinically depressed. Mm. I can just about deal with stuff. You know, I don't really 
ever get depressed. Is laughter your therapy? No, because I, said, I don't laugh at anything. No, but the audience laughter, does that give you a boost? Well, there's an adrenaline rush, mm. but you can see what, what happens is you're kind of high for about five minutes and then you come crashing down really quickly. Mm. Like tonight, obviously, was just a mad one anyway. You know, I just felt I hadn't a moment to relax at any moment it was, today. It's non-stop, isn't it, your, your show? Is, uh, well, yeah, because, and I don't normally do that, but they begged mm. for the best of the fest. And, um, I quite literally arrived and had to go on stage, mm. where normally I'll have a sandwich and have a half hour to just yeah. grab my bearings. So. And also, normally, like and this will be the case with the Dublin or the Irish shows, it's a two-hour show. Mm. I just rattle through stuff. No, and then I had to rattle through another thing. I don't really like doing that. Early on in your career, you did the commitments, didn't mm -hmm. you? You were in that. What are your memories of being in the commitments? It was a lot of fun, but you know, such a tiny part. Like uh, what people don't seem to realise is, basically, the lead for the manager was between me and two other guys, and the guy he gave it to, he did a good job. He just uh, very unusually for a director gave the other two small parts in the film. Mm. So, you know, there was a time where I might have got the other thing. Mm. But Alabama is that weird thing of uh, he used a lot of unknowns, which is brilliant, but none of them very seldom ever go on to do anything. No, no, funny, isn't it? I, I interviewed that guy who, who was the lead singer. Andrew yeah. Strong. Right? Andrew Strong, yeah, I interviewed him a couple of years ago, and uh, he's not really gone as far as people thought he was going to, has he? I know, but. But like Alan Parker does it, like Bugsy Malone mm. as well, hardly any of them went on. Because Andrea Cole was in the commitments, wasn't she, very briefly? Yeah, I think she was one of those cold yeah. to the door. Do you have any funny stories from the from being in the commitments at all? Well, it is like 30 years ago. But, I know, sorry. Um, I used to do a routine about it, but what was, what was weird was uh, my very first scene was pretty much where I had to go in to the gig and, you know, and I see the band on and I say, oh, I'll give you a record deal. But obviously, the way they film it is, everyone is miming, so you don't hear anything. But they say, but shout your lines, because obviously, this is a pumping mm. night. So it's full of loads of extras, and I had to come in shouting. And then you can see all these extras going, I can do that much better than him. He's just shouting. So I was aware of stuff like that, mm. you know. And how much kudos did that give you? And Obviously, then you won the Parry Award, didn't you? Which was a huge. No, things like the commitments of Coronation Street are mm. basically they become five-minute routines and a mm. set, and that's it. Mm. You know, there's there's nothing. Like you know, I remember um, I was doing a tour in Australia because, as I say, I just really don't suffer fools, and um, there's so many bloody regional papers over there. And I was doing a tour. I was promoting my novel and promoting my tour, and. Um, some kid was on the phone from Perth and uh, his first question was, so what was it like being in the commitments? I just went, it was 20 years ago, it was two weeks of my life, next question. Mm. And uh, and he got so flummoxed he mm. hung up. Sure. Really? Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah. I, well, I find it quite patronising when they put really amateurs onto you as well, you know, right. they just fish out stuff. Mm. And um, what about the Perrier Award? Was it as much of a life career changer as one would imagine. No. Like, the, the show was, mm. the award wasn't, because Channel 4 had said, uh, we want to make this into a show, which weirdly came out on DVD this Monday. Really? Yeah. yeah. Haven't even sent me a copy. <laughs> but that's the way it goes. But, um, no, it was a show, though, that did it. Awards don't really mm. make very little odds to me. Is I'm it not very place the one you had the piece done? It's in my mum's house, mm. besides 
my brother's table tennis runner-up mm -hmm. trophy. It's it's given no credence as a mm -hmm. much more special award, you know. It is quite legendary, but some running mm -hmm. medals. But did you wake up the next morning a changed person? Did you feel a lot more confident about your career? And no. Presumably, you could charge more for a gig there, couldn't you? No. Yeah. No, it was. Um, yeah, no. Honestly, just nothing changed. Like I think I wrote a piece about the next day for the Guardian at the time, but the only thing that changes was um, people came along to the show, but rather than you know finding out about it, they went along to see what was the best show at the mm. festival. So the audiences were shit for the next week because there's people who you know quite literally go to the best of the fest, mm. you know, won't bother going to see anyone else, you know, which is their prerogative. But mm. you know, I find that you know people are very lazy culturally. Because you then got a claim as a playwright as well, and then gradually as a novelist. Do you enjoy having that variety, that yeah. versatility? Well, absolutely, because you know you can't do stand up all the time. Because you have a low boredom threshold, I imagine. Yeah, right? I yeah. think. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, with the plays I wrote with Owen O'Neill, and he's a really good friend, so it's good fun to write with him. As always, just have a laugh. And the novels, you know, I find it really odd that you know you say I do all these things, but people, the media tend to kind of hate you. They go, oh, why don't you just stick to what you're good at, you know, you can't muscle into all that. Like, any time a comedian uh, acts in a play in the West End, they always get bad reviews. Because these old, kind of, theatre critics go, how fucking dare you? You know, you weren't trained. And, uh, you know, there's a big snobbishness about that. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons I stopped doing comedy as well, because it's seen as everyone's, you know, poor relation. It doesn't get its own arts page or anything, even though it's as far as I'm concerned, when it's done well, it's the best live night mm -hmm. you can get, and I find it ridiculous that it's not given any credence for that. So who do you rate of the of people, who would you go a long way to see? I don't go to see other comics. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, yeah, I just, I don't really go to see other shows. Who would you recommend other people go and see? Well, I saw a little bit of Frankie Boyle there, he seems very good. Mm -hmm. And Jason's really brilliant energy. Other than that, I kind of... Uh, did you like, make Frank Skinner? Well, you know, Frank's brilliant at what he does, mm. but he, he's a certain type of comic, and yeah, I find yeah. it a little bit easy. Mm. But um, no, I wouldn't get to see it. He talks about you a little bit in his autobiography. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And are you thinking about writing this one No, I'd never, ever write that. Is that because you're private, or...? Well, I just, yeah, it is that, but also, mm. yeah, I'm not... You know, I was born when <laughs> this is pictures of me granny. I find it tedious, you know? But you read his, though. Um, yeah, mm. yeah, and I didn't mind him saying that yeah. stuff, and it seemed quite interesting, mm. you know. But I, I just, I, I would never ever write an autobiography. Can we talk about never mind the buzzcocks? Is that something you're proud of, or that you're not very proud of? It is what it is. It was fine at the time, but I just found um, after a while we were pretty much making the same show every week, mm. and I pretty much was the first to jump ship. Even though I was saying goodbye to a hell of a lot of money for doing very little, but I, it was one of those things that, again, while I keep on kind of floating about the places, because um, I was getting tired of people saying, there's that fell off and never mind the buzzcocks. Mm. They wouldn't even know your name. I'm really not interested in people doing that to me. It was said that you claimed that some of the so-called ad-libs weren't at all, that they were actually were scripted. Is that true that you'd said that? No, because um, the ad-libs are ad-libs, mm. but, you know, it's... It's it's not like obviously Mark's scripted in the sense of he's going on yeah. you, but we're not given any words to do. Like there's planning, mm. but there's, there's no scripts. You're never given a script. Like there's some writers who have to help the kind of 
meagre pop stars who don't know how to do jokes, but mm. I always found them quite naff, the jokes they gave them as well. But yeah, we, we were never given a script. Viewers would imagine that Mark's quite difficult to get on with. How did you actually get on with him? Well, I've known him for years and years, so that was absolutely fine. But, um, you know, I kind of don't really socialise with him though. So, but you know, he was, he was fine at work. They were all very nice, you know. And it was nice that Bill got the job as well, because I like him. Because funny enough, I watched last night an episode on NTV, an old episode. It was the Christmas 99 special, and it had Bill coming on as um, a guitar player with Rick Wakeman. Right. And you were still the captain, and then obviously he was going to be your successor a couple of years later. But if I remember that, I think we only did one Christmas show, but bizarrely, I was offered this job of a lifetime where I went to Japan to cover Damon Hill's last Grand Prix. Oh. And then he got back that morning, so that Christmas show, I don't think I say it works, I'm just totally jet-lagged. You had Les McEwen on one side, and I can't remember who was Les McEwen? Yeah, from the Bay City Rollers. Oh, I like Les. Yeah. He was coming out with some very strange right. Well, it's some of them, you know, it's, there's nothing sad than when somebody's not funny thinks they're funny, and mm. overcompensates for it. And that, that would happen a fair bit in the show as well, and you just kind of back off, really. Like, it, it, it certainly wasn't, you know, something I'd look forward to recording, but mm. it is what it is, and it was very easy to do. Mm. And what were your most memorable guests, co you know, other guests and moments on that show? The most memorable was Jar Wobble because he slapped me before we went on. Why? Um, he said I was getting mouthy or something. He's just a nutcase. But um, so obviously I remember that. But but that was the thing. Like I kind of I've no memories really of it. It's just you know because what was happening as the series went on is. They'd ring you up and tell you who your guests are, and you go, well, who the fuck are these people? I've never heard of them before. And, you know, you were just getting to the step where you're going, I don't know any, who these people are. And it wasn't me getting older, it was just, I think certain people were frightened to go on it after a while. Was there anyone you were excited to meet, though, on the show? Because you had some really good pop stars come on there. Well, yeah, like, you know, hearsay when they're at the kind of moment in the mm. sun, that was quite fun. Mm. And uh, I think Sporty Spice, you know, mm. like, you have fun with them. Mm. But it's... Um, I don't really get excited about stuff like that. Have you watched the show since? since I've seen it every so often. Mm. No, I never watched it when I was on it either. Mm. But yeah, it's kind of, you know, if it was on, I wouldn't say turn it off, but I certainly mm. wouldn't be Sky Plusing it. Mm. And obviously, recently, uh, Preston from The Ordinary Boys, he stormed off because Simon Amstel, the, the comedian. Who I think is very good, by the way. Yeah. He upset him. Did, um, did you ever have any moments like that when you were on the show? Well, Lemmy kind of left just after we finished the show and it was all written up like he walked out in the middle but I don't think he was quite sure what was going on but that's the only time someone's walked out I think like some of the ID extras would get a bit arsy afterwards with some of the comments you, you yeah even though they knew yeah. that was yeah. why they were on mm. so I, one of them threatened me actually so it was a bit odd you know mm. well I, don't, I hate any violence anyway so mm. things that I give me the creeps your departure from that show was quite sudden to the viewers because one minute you were there, next minute it's Bill Bailey. So, did you get a lot of people wondering if you'd been pushed or? No, because I gave them a serious notice as well, so mm. I actually did another series for them, oh, okay. so they could get some of the place. Yeah, so no, it was just the end of the series, really. And then you know, I think we did the whole this is Sean's last show and all that. But you know, I just the work I do, like everything with, with acting work, you always have to wait to be asked. Mm which is why it's good to do stand-up, because, you know, you can just get on with it. They're always kind of bonuses, really, for, for comics, you know, to get other work. But you just try to uh, 
I, I, so I just wait and see if things are a challenge, really. You know, I just I wouldn't do even if I wasn't working. I wouldn't do something I didn't want to do. Mm. Everything has to be for a challenge. How different was your career after the Buzzcocks? Did you find suddenly people looked upon you differently? In what way? Well, you know, you you're saying recently you've been offered Strictly Come Dancing, for instance, and you said that people had just misunderstood you. Um, well, last week they asked to, again for about the third time to do I'm a Slave to Get Me Out of Here, which, you know, obviously I don't do because I've got dignity, but <laughs> it is a slight worry when they usually ask people whose careers are dead. Mm. You know, so you know you always have to take that on board as well. Yeah. But as you can tell, you know I'm absolutely fine about being asked. But it's just that I find it's really odd that in our society that television is the be all and end all, and if you're not on television, you're not a success, which you know is really shallow. But also um, a game show like that, a uh, panel show, is uh, steady income. When of course you know you're self-employed, I'm self-employed, and you kind of think, well. I need the money, really, you know. Well, I don't, though. No, no, I appreciate you've done lots of things. That but, um, yeah, but, that's, I mean, like, I just find that I wouldn't ever do, I wouldn't even, uh, like, be a guest on a panel show. Because mm. I've done that, you know. But you and, like, that's all there is now. Mm. Didn't you do some show where you were blind or something? Yeah. And you had, yeah. How do you differentiate between that and... Because that was a challenge and it was something I was mm. going to learn from. I've done three of those, and one of them was being blind, which I loved doing. And I learned a lot from that. And I did one in a wheelchair, uh, where again you had to get mm -hmm. one place. And I did one with the uh, the trying to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit about your your existence? You so say you live in North London. And what sort of a house do you have? I mean, you say you're not short of the property. Well, I don't really want to be talking about what okay. house I live in and stuff. Right. But um, because it's pretty much one of those. Uh, I was brought up very working class, so like I don't really understand these people that you know have a lot of money and then want more mm. you know I, I have enough to live on and I, I'm not lavish you know I've got very frugal needs but um you know I always buy the house so I don't have a mortgage so mm. I've no problem with finance. Do you have a place in Ireland as well? Yeah. Right. Have you bought your, uh, your parents a place in Ireland? Well no they have their own place. Yeah, other celebrities like to, okay you're not a celebrity, like to buy their parents something like right. Elvis Presley did. Yeah, but they have houses that they own. I don't think they need another one. Okay. But no, I help them out financially when I yeah. can, yeah. But Do you fancy having a place over there yourself? No. Do you don't have that kind of pull towards Ireland again? No. No. I'd never live in Ireland. No. I love going there, but I just couldn't live there. you still got a cat and two dogs? Yeah. Are we allowed to know their names and breeds? Well, they're all Barrassy dogs. Right. But there's a calendar out uh, for that. With a people. picture of you with your animals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To what extent do you see them as your substitute children? Not in the slightest. You know, it's just, uh, it was one of those things of, I just went to rescue a dog and then ended up doing some filming with Barrison and there was a puppy there, so I got another dog. But no, I'm not. They're not substitutes for kids. And also, most of my friends have got kids, so I'm always around kids, you know. Mm. And uh, maybe now, are you in a relationship at the moment? Maybe not know that, because <laughs> it, it doesn't really right. alter anything. But no, I'm not at the moment. No. Right. 
And I, I know you talk a lot about how you feel about being single at 42. 41? Well, they say in the paper, the other day you're called 42, sorry. In the paper? Yeah, well, there you are, I must be wrong. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're more careful about where you go on holiday nowadays after the tsunami situation, or no. do you still go to exotic places? Well, I want to go to the Antarctic, but, like, again, the only thing that worries me is eating, because they just don't seem to understand vegetarianism anywhere in the mm. world. And, like, I'd love to go to South America, but I'd be eating beans for the whole holiday, mm. and that really puts me off a little mm. bit. I know you've been kind of dismissive about the effect of that experience on your life, but do you think actually it had a deeper effect on it than you think? No, it didn't actually. I think because it happened in a place that I'd never been before, so it felt it felt more surreal than absolutely, you know, devastating. And also, like, basically, we got out there pretty quickly, and then I was up in the capital for three days, had another Red Cross, so you kind of you did hands-on work, which obviously I don't talk about on stage because it's not funny. Mm. But it's, um, I, I kind of, um, it, it didn't, I, I don't think it has affected me. Like it might have that I'm not aware mm. of, but I don't like get flashbacks or anything like that. And again, I've written about it for a novel. So, you know, in a sense, like with the comedy as well, you do kind of get out of your system. Mm. But bizarrely, people come up to me then and say, did you really, were you really in the tsunami? And I go, I just fucking talked about it for 10 mm. minutes on stage. Have you had other people who were in it sort of, uh, getting in touch with you and saying, you know, their experiences and wanting to talk about it. So. Nah. Like, as I say, I got that text phone thing. That was... Are you really doing? Yeah. Right. But, um, yeah, I think people just dealt with it. Oh. Like, the, um, the actual company did offer uh, therapy. Right. But I didn't want it. Because they uh, obviously fucked up the holiday for us. <laughs> and uh, eventually, when you do leave this planet, how do you want people to leave it? Um, I don't care. You know, when you're gone, you can't. Well, really, doesn't interest me. You know what they think, really. Because the only people I really care about are my friends. That's why, you know, when the press and stuff get things wrong, it doesn't really interest me if other strangers believe lies. As long as, as, long as my friends love me. Because that's the one thing I did learn from being 40 was to get rid of all the chaff in your life. You know, I, I don't understand people who need to have loads of people around them when you can really only have about six friends. But you say you're very ambitious still, or you certainly imply that. What are you ambitious for, then? Just to get better at whatever I, I, it is I do next. But then you don't care how people think of you after you're gone? But, yeah, I have no kind of... So what's the goal, then? What are you trying, what are you striving for now? Just to be really good at what I do. Mm -hmm. But this is, I, I've never understood people wanting to be remembered after they die. You know, because... It, it, Maybe I'm, it's maybe being selfish, but mm. it's not really going to affect me. Mm. You know, I find it sad that some people have to die to become more famous, mm -hmm. but that's just the way it goes, really. Any more books or plays in the offing? I hopefully there'll be a novel coming out, which I'm kind of more or less there about, but it's very dark. So, and I believe the publishing world has changed mm -hmm. quite a lot since I last was published. And any other sort of TV projects or anything? No, else? like... Uh, You're going to concentrate on your stand-up? Well, I'm doing this till the end of uh, November, and then I'm not a dicky bird, I don't know what I'm doing next, but that doesn't mm. frighten me. Mm. I'm always killing myself, it's not a problem. Yeah, <laughs> I can't do that. Everyone is. <laughs>